As an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur, how can you ensure the success of your business and your quality of life? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. This program will help you to identify and make necessary changes in your life and your business. You'll find the challenges that you're facing and solutions in the examples of lifelong business owners who have entrepreneurship in their DNA. You'll also learn from experts who've transformed their mindset and skills to become industry leaders. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. I'm fortunate to be joined today by Molly Lindquist. Molly's the founder of Kansano, a nonprofit that offers people across the world in an easy way to donate directly to vetted quality medical research projects that are meaningful to them. One of the unique facets of Kansano is that it uses a crowdfunding approach so donors can contribute any dollar amount. The dollars add up to make a profound difference in advancing treatment and outcomes for a wide range of medical conditions. Also, 100% of the donations actually go to the projects that donors select, as opposed to contributing to the funding of Kansano's business operations. Molly, I'm so appreciative of this opportunity to chat with you about the amazing work you're doing and also the compelling personal story that inspired you to found Kansano. Welcome. Thank you, Hamda. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. And we have to recognize, of course, a very important milestone for you as we're starting this conversation is that you succeeded in reaching over a million dollars in funding for medical research to date. So congratulations on that. Oh, thank you so much. I'm still glowing. So did this surpass your vision reaching this point in in your accomplishment around growing the organization and engaging various stakeholders and in addition to the fundraising aspect? Absolutely. You know, this entire endeavor has been a very grassroots personal effort stemming from kind of my own turning point in life, which we'll discuss uh, a little bit more. But really, I was only hoping to make whatever impact I could. And the fact that we've been able to scale and engage just a wide variety of people touched by health issues has been incredibly meaningful. And to see us hit this $1 million milestone, just it still kind of blows me away, having started really an all-volunteer organization, just trying to make a difference. And there's so many interesting facets to your story. If we look at it, of course, from a personal point of view, there's a lot of relatability, a lot of inspiration. And then also from an entrepreneurial perspective, there's so many tidbits that you offer others in terms of just their frame of reference around starting an organization that allows them to incorporate a personal mission, experience a sense of meaning in their work, and also engage the talents that they've built over the years in other work roles. So I would really love for you to share more about your whole experience of transition in, in terms of starting Kansano, both the more personal aspects, and then the aspects of shifting careers as well. Absolutely. Had you told me about six years ago that I would be chatting with you about crowdfunding and medical research, healthcare, cancer, I would have looked at you like you were crazy, Hemda. But often life has a different path for us than what we expect, whether that's 
a change in career or a health issue or the birth of a child, you know, we have all these things that happen to us in our lives that really make us reassess what we're doing. And for me, that kind of point of analysis came in October of 2011. I uh, had previously worked in finance and corporate strategy, mostly for retail companies, and was actually taking a hiatus as a stay-at-home mom, which was (laughs) really kind of my first life is taking me in a direction I never expected moment. Because had you told my 22-year-old Stanford grad self that I would be a stay-at-home mom, again, I would have kind of looked at you like, what are you talking about? (laughs) But as it turned out, I loved being a mom and I loved staying home with my kids. And in 2011, I was just starting to think about how I wanted to jump back into my professional career as my youngest daughter was turning three and getting ready to enter preschool. So I realized I'd have some more time to really get back into things that mattered to me. And right around that time, as I was exploring some career options, I found a lump in my breast. And because I'm a type A person, very quickly, I went from feeling this lump to going into my OB-GYN who said, oh, you know, you're young. At this point, I was 32. It's probably nothing. But if it'll make you feel better, we can go send you in for a breast ultrasound. And again, being the the paranoid person I was, I said, you know, let's just do that. I I just want to give myself some peace of mind that this is nothing. And so the breast ultrasound quickly turned into a mammogram, and that turned into a biopsy all within this same kind of span of two hours. And so I remember kind of floating through the cancer center halls thinking, what is going on? And I'll never forget when the radiologist looked me straight in the eye as I finally had regained my voice. And I said, what are we thinking about here? And, and she said, we strongly suspect this is cancer. And that is when my world really turned upside down. And I spent the next several months going through surgeries, I had a bilateral mastectomy, and then through chemotherapy. And I really came out of my personal experience, most saddened by the fact that my two daughters who were three and five years old at the time of my diagnosis, would face a a higher likelihood of having to deal with this themselves. And for me, that mama lioness instinct really came out. And the question became, how can I help create a world where Clara and Audrey don't have to worry about breast cancer. And as I mentioned, my professional background is in finance. I love Excel. (laughs) Give me an Excel model and I'm a happy girl. So clearly I was not going to go into the lab and, and do cancer research, but really wanted to figure out how to leverage my competencies to help in that endeavor. So really I did a lot of due diligence on ways to give to medical research and really in doing so, didn't find the transparency and, frankly, the control I was looking for with my pretty small donation. But regardless, I wanted to have a say in where that money was going. For me, that meant vaccines and genetics, things that might help my daughters. And in talking with other patients and families touched by a health issue, I found that I was not alone in in wanting that control. This happened around the time when Kickstarter was fast approaching the $1 billion pledged mark. And so the question for me became, how come there isn't a Kickstarter for medical research? And that was really the idea behind Consano. And for those who are not familiar with Kickstarter, can you just share a little bit? Absolutely. So 
Kickstarter is one of the more well-known crowdfunding platforms, and campaigners or individuals list a project. In most cases, it's a product or artistic endeavor, and then you rally your community to support that project. And so what we have done at Consano is taken that same crowdfunding idea and engaged with researchers from academic centers across the country to list their projects. And then people who are touched by the work that they're doing can directly support that researcher and lab, very similar to what artists were doing on Kickstarter. So when people aren't familiar with the term crowdfunding, I, I like to describe it as picturing the Salvation Army bucket at Christmas time and ringing the bell and you throw in your change and then that's aggregated up to make an impact. And that's exactly what crowdfunding is, only on the wonderful World Wide Web. So it's really a way for a group of individuals to rally together to make a big impact. Molly, kudos to you for being in a situation that is so unsettling and really coming out of it in a way that's so empowering for you. And also, you offered the gift of empowerment to so many people. Like you said, that aspect of control that you're thinking, what is it that I can do? And you were thinking really about your children. And by extension, so many other people who have that similar experience of wanting to be able to contribute to solutions in a way that they can. So I think that's pretty incredible. Oh, thank you. And that by far has been the most inspiring component of creating Consano and watching it grow is meeting people who have gone through unimaginable experiences in their personal lives and watching them take those painful moments and really channel them into a force for good has been incredibly inspiring. And also for me on a personal level, just such a huge part of my healing from my personal cancer experience. So finding that agency and control again, is something that plays a large part in helping us to heal both inside and out. You talk about healing and also in a sense, it's becoming even stronger emotionally and every other way. Absolutely. And interestingly, Consano actually means to heal in Latin. And that really kind of builds the, the foundation of what we're trying to do. And, and to your point, in this healing process, we also find hope. And, you know, it might not be hope for our immediate family, for people who have lost loved ones. Often it's, it's a hope that other families don't have to go through the experience that they did. And you know, again, finding meaning and purpose in incredibly painful times, I think, plays a big part in healing. And that goal of healing is, of course, has to be reflected in how you're setting up your business model. So I would love to talk more about that in terms of one, the different steps that you took to establish and grow your organization, and then how also your organization is set up to help people, the different types of funds that you have and other ways that people can contribute. Yeah, absolutely. No, this has been a very a steep learning curve for me as well. As I mentioned, I typically in my past had worked for large companies. And so jumping into this entrepreneurial world has been incredibly exciting. And also, I've learned a ton. And really, from the beginning, we being our board of directors really laid out the mission of helping to fund research that might otherwise go unfunded, and giving families this tool to really empower their communities to help, we call it heal it forward, but really pay it forward in terms of making things better for patients 
in the future. And so in kind of determining all of the different stakeholders in our process, we decided that having a nonprofit organization made the most sense because we'd be interacting with many academic centers. And the whole idea behind Consano is really this philanthropic desire to help those of us in our community who are going through health issues. And again, going back to my personal story, I was incredibly lucky in that I had a wonderful support network via my family and friends. They brought meals. They helped take care of my daughters during this time. I had health insurance, so I knew I was not going to go bankrupt from the very expensive surgeries and treatments. So for me, the piece of my particular journey that I was compelled to help was really this idea of making things better for my daughters. And I think that kind of lent itself to this philanthropic idea of crowdfunding, where rather than getting an item or a thing, you get your tax deduction and you get to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And so the way that we set up the organization was to make it as transparent as possible. As you mentioned in the beginning, Hemda, we basically separate out Consano organizational costs from any donation to a project or honor fund. And to briefly touch on honor funds, that was kind of the Consano 2.0 evolution when we saw so many donations coming in honor and in memory of people. Honor funds really give families a way to start their own fund to support the research that matters to them, typically something that has touched their family, really without the time and money required to start a foundation. And so when people donate to those honor funds or to the research projects, all of that money goes exactly where they have said they want it to go. So we don't take any percentage to support Consano. We actually fundraise separately as a kind of a traditional 501c3. We have a big event in Portland every year. We do little roadshows across the country where we discuss what we're doing at Consano and, and how individuals can support the platform or start their own honor funds. And again, we've really leveraged the community in that people not only have donated money, but have donated time to help us streamline our strategic vision and help with marketing and help with developing the website. And I've been incredibly fortunate that I have this large community of people who have been touched as well. And so they want to help. And so, you know, again, not only have people been very kind in, in supporting the organization financially, but they've really helped us to grow and scale and hit that million dollar mark. And my goal is to double that faster each year. And we definitely could not do that without leveraging our friends and family members who have these different pieces of expertise that they bring to the table that they're willing to share with us. I hear a lot of efficiency in your model and it's like weaving a quilt because you're really engaging all of the different aspects of your life, your personal networks, your work experience, and looking at how you could meet gaps in what the market offered essentially, gaps for people who are looking to give and gaps for people who are doing research, incredible research that otherwise wouldn't be funded, as you mentioned. You're really approaching this from so many different angles and engaging so many resources to make it an efficient endeavor. And the results obviously are, are showing that. Absolutely. Thank you, Hemda. That is absolutely the goal is to be as efficient, as lean as possible, and to get as much money to funding better treatments and hopefully cures as possible. And what we found, too, is while 
crowdfunding in and of itself is not a huge dollar value relative to a governmental NIH grant, what's happening is there's a lot of work that's getting seed funding that then goes on to win those bigger grants because the preliminary data is collected or the piece of equipment is purchased to generate the data. So it's really been interesting to see this entrepreneurial way of looking at funding research that also really gives people visibility to the process that typically isn't available unless you're donating large sums of money. Right. So you have this incremental approach that makes so many things possible that it doesn't have to happen in big chunks. But the issue is, well, what's the next step you need to get to to advance what you're doing? Exactly. And let's see if we can work with that. And then based on that, we can take it to another level. Exactly. That's so true. And I think that as a patient, I always have the faces of my friends living with metastatic disease or the parents I've met who've lost children. They're always kind of sitting on my shoulder as this voice of let's go faster. Like, how can we get this, these things done more quickly so that, again, these families who are facing unimaginable pain so that we can curb that <laughs> as soon as possible, you know, and it's, it's incredibly motivating. It's also been a big catalyst for our vetting process, which is one of our key differentiators relative to other crowdfunding sites because we actually have our own scientific advisory board that vets every project before it's listed. So again, you know, our mission is to provide this hope, hope for better treatments and cures, but also realistic hope and not false hope and and making sure that not only are the projects credible and legitimate, but that they really do have the potential to lead to improvements for patients. And that's something that I'm really proud of and something, again, that as I think of the faces of the people I love who are literally waiting on the next treatment or cure to stay alive, having that element of vetting and legitimacy is incredibly important. So while you're offering a lot of opportunity for meaning and for folks to express the very personal, if they're contributing in honor or memory of someone or they're contributing to your hope fund, then they get to share their personal story or someone else's story who's very close to them. And at the same time, your work is grounded in the very practical and you're ensuring that whatever funds get contributed actually really have a strong impact. Absolutely. And that's, I really feel, one of the most important things that we do. I also want to acknowledge, you know, again, the personal perspective that you bring is that it's a great message for all of us as we're taking in our life experiences and especially the ones that are painful that it's an opportunity to look at them as not necessarily something that's going to derail our hopes and our dreams and our past, but something that will help to inform and direct us, guide us in a more precise way. Absolutely. And I think that, again, in terms of taking these experiences and finding the silver lining or the lemonade out of lemons, I always joke that I had a couple of bad lemons, (laughs) so I tried to turn them into lemonade. But really, finding those pieces of our own experiences that could be better or that aren't being addressed. I think that kind of goes right down to the heart of entrepreneurship and identifying those problems and coming up with efficient solutions, better solutions, bigger solutions to those problems that usually we're facing ourselves. And as I alluded to in the beginning, I I did a lot of due diligence to figure out, okay, you know, how do I want to participate? And when I did identify this need and a mechanism that was addressing it in other areas, 
combining those two things to provide this alternative way of giving, for me, again, was incredibly healing, but also incredibly practical in terms of using my professional experience to address a business problem. Again, we're talking about identifying an opportunity to use a particular mechanism. You were looking to be able to give in ways that were reasonable for you. And there's so many other people out there who are in that same predicament. And so putting together this process of different funds that people could contribute to and having that vetting process, as you say, if we're looking at the mechanics of how your business is running, are there any other mechanics that are essential to how you operate, Pansano? Yeah, I think one of the key pieces of our success has been our board of directors. So we have a board of directors, we have strategic advisors, and then we have a scientific advisory board. And I think very early on, I determined, okay, I am very good at Excel and creating a business plan. I'm not very good at or I don't know much about marketing or branding. And so figuring out who the people in my network and my network's network, that second degree connection, who could help with the pieces that might not be my strong suit was key. And so when we recruited our board of directors, we were very strategic about what skill set they were bringing to the table. And so we have lawyers, we have finance people, we have marketing people. We've tried to kind of fill in the skill sets that will really help scale the organization. And not only that, but I think what I'm most proud of is the fact that we have this amazing board of directors, but the authenticity behind the people is also incredibly important. And so they've all been touched in some way by a health issue, whether personally or in their family or in their community. And so the mission of empowering individuals to really take back control is the foundation of everything we do. And each of them carry a piece of that, that foundation. So not only are they bringing these amazing skill sets, but they're bringing authentic belief in the mission. And I think that has been incredibly powerful in scaling the organization. That's a great lens that you're emphasizing is for any entrepreneur who's interested in building an organization around a mission that's so important to them. If you're engaging expertise, you want to take a look at, of course, the functional expertise, like you're saying, marketing and other areas that are essential to business operations. And at the same time, you want to make sure that you're drawing in people who resonate with your mission. You want to have that piece in place to make sure that there's buy-in and then there's continuity and that it's sustainable. Absolutely. And I really do think that is the organization. That is really what comes through. And that's what makes people want to be a part of it, whether they want to start an honor fund or whether they want to donate to a project. You want that trust and authenticity. And I think by building an organization with people from the ground up who believe in not only the day-to-day activities of the organization, but the bigger kind of vision is really key. And again, I have been incredibly lucky in my own community of really having access to those wonderful people and for them to open up their networks to me. And again, to know who to ask the questions of, because being an entrepreneur, we never have all the answers. And in fact, that's why many of us do this is, you know, to find better answers. So to know who to ask is key in kind of fulfilling the vision of your mission. And Molly, how does the board of directors role play? How does it work in practice in terms of the continuum of your operation? Do you engage their expertise at different times aside from any kind of formal gathering? Yeah, I 
try to be upfront with them in the beginning as I'm, you know, recruiting these amazing people. It's a quarterly meeting that's kind of expected. But I may be calling now and then, <laughs> more more now than then <laughs> in most cases, to really pick your brain, to you know, go over strategies, to get your perspective on things. And so I always joke that we ha- very much have a working board and they're available for me. And again, I really leverage their expertise, particularly in areas that are not my strong suit. And so... There's a lot of ad hoc meeting and talking and brainstorming, which again is why I think recruiting people with that authentic belief in what you're doing is huge because, you know, then it becomes a fun brainstorming session, you know, and I think Hemda, one of my biggest takeaways from having cancer is that not to sound cheesy, but really life can change tomorrow. You know, on October 10th, 2011, I had a pretty carefree life two little girls that I was raising and a wonderful husband. And on October 11th, I had cancer. So I learned very quickly that life can change so fast. And so each day, I try to to live as though things could change tomorrow. And, you know, and, and again, not to be overly dramatic, but that often entails working with nice, kind, fun people who are smart and good at what they do, but make my day better by having interacted with them. And and that's kind of the bar that I set for most of my interactions is tomorrow, if this is my last day on earth, do I want to be spending it doing this? And do I want to be spending it with you? And clearly, life's not perfect. And there are things we all have to do that maybe we wouldn't put at the top of our list (laughs) of fun things. However, if the majority of days I'm not answering yes to those questions, then it's time to reassess what I'm doing because time is so incredibly precious and it's just not worth wasting. So this became a real quality of life invitation for you. You took it to heart to look at life in a way that you're being very deliberate about the choices you make, about who's around you, who you interact Absolutely. with, who yep. you spend time you with. You got it. And I think uh, you, you kind of, get what you give in that way. So I've, again, have this new appreciation for life and time and spending that time in a way that makes an impact, but also makes time for my family. And, you know, there's always that question of work-life balance and how do you prioritize? And again, I feel like my lens of if tomorrow my cancer comes back, really colors everything that I do. And I think it has made my very type A tendencies a little more moderate, a little bit more permissive of not always being that type A people pleaser, but in fact, taking time to smell the roses. And just drawing on the example that you're describing and how you're approaching your business with your board of directors and your personal perspective, I thought you made some really interesting points about choosing the board and also working with the board in a way that is incredibly engaging for them. And then looking at this topic that you brought up too about how you're managing your work responsibilities and then also the family life, how that comes in. Is there anything more you can share about that? This is something I've grappled with really my entire life, You know, not so much really the parenthood thing, but just trying to figure out how to prioritize time, what's important. How can I get the biggest impact, bang for the buck sort of idea? And 
what I've come to find is that it's very much a, a work in progress. I think for all of us, I think forever. <laughs> as kind of sad as that sounds, it's also a little liberating to realize that that's okay. There are going to be some weeks and there are some weeks where my kids come in, they're like, oh, you're doing Kinsano stuff again because it's after dinner and they're wanting to play a game. And then there are other weeks when, because I have the flexibility of being an entrepreneur, I can go volunteer at their school and do some of the things that I enjoy doing with them. And I think there's never going to be the perfect balance on that teeter-totter. But as like I said, when I look at my life through that lens of tomorrow, my cancer could come back. As long as most days I'm feeling good about the way that I'm prioritizing things, then I'm going to call it a win. And that being said, I'm sure someday my kids will be like, my mom, you know, worked so much and I wanted her to play Yahtzee. (laughs) And you know what? So be it. That will happen. (laughs) But I think we all do the best we can. And I think cutting ourselves a break is often the most challenging part of, of trying to find that balance. I think we're often our own harshest critics. I know that I certainly am for myself. And so, again... That cancer card that, that popped up really allowed me to realize, hey, you know, every now and then I can cut myself a break. And I think that has been incredibly, not only healthy, but very liberating for that type A hamster wheel that <laughs> usually is spinning in my head. What great tips. From one standpoint, you mentioned the importance of making sure that you're prioritizing your time, however you're investing your time, that it relates to your core values. So as an example, if you can invest the time in volunteering at your kid's school, then the day that you're not available to play the game after dinner, at least you're looking at that as tending to the priority of your children. If you were to ask me what has been kind of the best moment thus far, I would definitely say I was at a Girl Scout meeting for my oldest daughter. She was in third grade at the time. And They were trying to decide what to do with their Girl Scout cookie money. They got to use some of it for fun, and then they were going to donate some. And my daughter stood up, and she said, you know, I'd like to talk about my mom's nonprofit, Consano, because I think that since we're all kids, we could really pick a project that helps kids with cancer with our money. And and she proceeded to pitch Consano to this group of third graders, and they all voted, and they did decide to do that, and they got to go to the lab of, of this researcher that they supported. And I remember thinking man, she's picking up a lot. (laughs) You know, even when mom's on the computer, or maybe not 100% focused on her, she is seeing the impact that the organization is making and also how her mom is balancing these different things and trying to help people. And I think that sort of lesson and message, while not discreetly sitting down with her and explaining it, is something that she's absorbing every day. Both my daughters are absorbing every day. And And so when they come to me with $5 and say, hey, do you have any kids cancer projects? I want to give you $5 for it. My heart bursts with pride because it just shows me that this really is a family business (laughs) and they're really, they get it to the level that they can at that age. They understand that we're trying to help people and make a difference and, and that that is something that's important to our family and something hopefully they then take with them as they enter adulthood. It's such a moving story because also you're not looking at it as a separation in terms of what you're doing work-wise, right? Even though your kids might say your mom's working so much, 
they're still very much integrated in what you do and they're a part of the mission of what you do. So it seems like that's a great invitation for anyone when you're looking at opportunities from an entrepreneurial point of view is just as you have done, Molly, integrated your friends, your community. For you, this is a family endeavor. It's a community endeavor. Yes, and you know, again, and it makes it so much fun. (laughs) Really, you know, when you are surrounded with people you love, who see the value and meaning in what you're doing, there's no better high. I mean, it's really amazing to kind of work together for this common goal. So tell us a little bit about where Cantano is going and if there's any advice that you can give for other people who are looking to transition and to do something entrepreneurial that's meaningful Absolutely. for them. Pre-cancer Molly was very risk averse. <laughs> I like eat I liked routine. I was a creature of habits. And again, cancer kind of taught me that despite the best laid plans, sometimes life has other ideas. And so I think that that very much mirrors my experience as an entrepreneur in that I've had to be very flexible and you figure out what works, what doesn't. When you're trying something new, often there's no roadmap to follow. And so having that flexibility and frankly, emotional resilience, because there are some days when it's like, oh man, I've heard a lot of no's today and you know, ah, what's the point of continuing? But I think if you find something you're deeply passionate about and that you truly believe in, you figure out ways to make it work or you figure out ways to make it better. So I think having that kind of flexibility and resilience, transitioning from a, a bit more of a kind of stable day-to-day job experience has been incredibly helpful for me and I, and will continue to be so. I, I think as we move forward, we continue to add academic partnerships. We actually just yesterday launched a project for the first time with the George Washington University. We're kind of continually trying to get the word out about what we're doing with the hope that we can really help to fund meaningful work that's going to help patients through better treatments or cures. And I think also on top of that is really this tool that will continue hopefully to grow to empower individuals to really share their stories and use those stories as a force for change. And that's really, again, the impetus of honor funds is if you don't have the time or money to start your own foundation, here's a really easy way to do that, to rally your community, to share your story. And I think, you know, what I learned in my breast cancer experience is that as you're going through treatments and surgeries, you can feel so very alone, regardless of what a wonderful support network you have, which I did, but it's very lonely. And I think when we share our stories, we see that we're not alone in our experiences, that others have been there and know to some extent what, you know, where we are and what we're going through. And I think that's an incredibly powerful thing to share with others. Our big goals, of course, are to raise tons and tons of money for medical research. But also, I hope we get to share lots of stories. And we do a lot of behind-the-scenes matchmaking for Honor Fund families where, you know, we help them find innovative research that matches with their priorities. So doing that matchmaking has been really fun because I've been exposed not only to families, but incredible research going on. So really, nose to the grindstone, Hemda. (laughs) We're just going to keep on plugging away and really trying to, to make an impact in the healthcare realm. What I'm hearing and what you're sharing is that when you were in this experience of going through your treatment, you were still able to lift your head up and to look forward 
and to be able to find the connections that exist across the world with people who are going through similar experiences. And so part of the healing also is, as you were saying, yes. it's also healing the isolation and that you're able to convert your experience and those of others, even if someone has lost a loved one, you can still celebrate and honor their life and actually support the continuity of their life force by making a contribution in their name. That's really what moves me every time that I see someone donate an honor or start an honor fund is just the deep love that comes through the words that people write or the pictures that they share. And again, exactly to your point, it really shows we're not alone in this. And for me, there couldn't be anything more healing. In terms of the options for donating, you talked about the opportunity to donate in honor or memory of someone. Would you also share what are the other opportunities to donate? Clearly, starting an honor fund is an option for people who want to rally their communities to support research without starting a foundation themselves. But we have a hope fund, which is a general fund. If you go on the website and you don't see a project that speaks to you, we curate typically monthly, different projects that we support with that HOPE Fund. You can go in and search by health category to see the research that's going on at different academic institutions. And clearly, this started with my desire to support breast cancer research. But what I found, in do again, doing this early due diligence before starting the organization is that everyone has this desire for, you know, control and specificity in how they're giving. And so we have cancer projects, but we also have heart disease and gosh, mental mental health and um, actually a lot of rare diseases on there as well that typically have smaller patient populations. There's a wide variety of health categories. So finding one that speaks to you to give is, is huge. And also just helping to spread the word. And often for us, that's even more meaningful. If you know someone who's gone through an experience and they might want to start an honor fund, you know, letting them know that tool is available is something we're always trying to get the word out about. And of course, you can always support Consano as a platform as well. Right. So folks can donate directly exactly. to your operations. And just one last question as by way of extending an invitation to listeners who may have different interests around engaging with Consano. So we talked about the different ways that you can donate in in ways that are meaningful to you. For those who are doing research, what is the approach that they might take? Yeah, absolutely. We're always looking to increase our researcher community as well. So we've made it very easy to create a login and submit a project. And again, once a project is submitted, it goes to our scientific advisory board. So any researcher listening, please take a look on the Consano site and see if crowdfunding might be an interesting way to raise funds for a project big or small. Molly, I want to thank you so much for sharing your beautiful spirit with us and sharing your business model. So much good guidance for those who are interested in making a personal change themselves through the life experiences that are giving them their own wake-up call. I really appreciate from the standpoint of best practices in entrepreneurship and from your personal experience, how much you brought uh, to the show today. Oh, thank you, Hamda. It was a pleasure to chat with you. So I want to invite listeners to visit consano.org, and that's C-O-N-S-A-N-O.org. 
And if you have comments or unanswered questions about today's episode, please share them by emailing me at hosthemda at gmail.com. You can also share comments and questions by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Life and Career Choices. Until next time, as always, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Turn the Page. Turn the Page is sponsored in part by Life and Career Choices, Inc. Host Hemda Mizrahi invites you to email her at hosthemda at gmail.com to explore becoming a sponsor or affiliate of the show. Until next time, make one change that will benefit your life and your business.